0: Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh.
1: On this note, your name is among 37 scam victims to be compensated 10.5 million U.S. dollars.
0: Have you ever gotten one of those emails informing you that you have a large amount of money sitting in an account overseas? You may not know anything about the account, but they promise you that if you respond with some personal information, the check for millions of dollars will be on its way. Of course, most of us can see something like that for what it is, a scam. But you'd be surprised at how many people are deceived into believing that they've got nothing to lose and everything to gain.
1: We laugh as we read it, right? Because, I mean, it is comical. But listen to me, somebody in the world will be deceived by a letter such as this and will have something of value stolen from them.
0: Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. We're in our series Growing in the Garden. And this week we're returning to Genesis chapter 3 and the account of Satan's deception that led to mankind's fall. Last week, Pastor Clay showed us from the text that we have a cunning adversary who is trying to steal everything that God promises to us. We also discovered that temptation basically comes in three areas, and Pastor Clay also showed us how we combat temptation when it comes at
1: us. One of the things is he will call into question the Word of God, and the next natural jump when you begin to question the Word of God is to begin to question the authority of God. Third aspect, we said, was to call into question the character of God.
0: Today, we're going to discover two more truths from Genesis chapter 3 that help us grow in our spiritual lives, specifically in the area of temptation and sin. Thanks for joining us today. Today. Now let's dive in.
1: It has happened again. I don't know. I must be the luckiest guy in the entire world. I'm telling you, I must be the luckiest guy in the entire world because, again, this week I received another letter from another country informing me of another um, uh, significant amount of money in my name just waiting for me to claim. What are the odds of that happening? And and I and I know that it must be uh, legit because it's it's from it's from the wor- it's from World Bank officials and IMF official. And I thought IMF stood for uh, Impossible Mission Force, but apparently must stand for for something else. So but it must be legit because it's from the World Bank. Uh, with regards to the meeting, well it starts off attention fund beneficiary. Now that's got to be good when it starts out that way, right? With regards to the meeting held on 27th of July 2018 here in Australia with other world leaders, current and past presidents in conjunction with World Bank slash IMF officials to reconcile to pay all debts on foreign recipients such as contractors, inheritance claims, award-winning funds, lotto, etc. So basically everybody in the world. Who has, who has been swindled on their hard-earned monies by fraudsters slash scammers and kidnappers in the hands of third world countries, parentheses, Africa, Asia, U.S. slash Canada, and the rest of the world. (laughs) Um, After the meeting, a committee was inaugurated and the listed names, on this note, your name is among 37 enlisted scam victims. (laughs) There's a... There's a truthful line if ever there was one. On uh, on this note, your name is among 37 illicit scam victims to be compensated by United Nations Assisted Program via World Bank slash IMF. Arrangement to be finalized by ATM card payment. ATM card payment. The approved amount for each recipient is valued at 10.5 million U.S. dollars. I think I said this when I got one of these a few months ago, but... Looks like we got that building covered that we was talking about. And it is our pleasure to inform you that your ATM card number, I can't give you all the number, but it's listed here, has been approved and upgraded in your favor. Uh, Meanwhile, your secret pin will be available as soon as you confirm to us the receipt of your ATM MasterCard in your possession. Well, the ATM MasterCard value is $10.5 million, and you are advised that a maximum withdrawal value of $20,000 is permitted daily. So I, I can only get... Twenty grand a day, but interswitched. I don't even know what that means, but we are duly interswitched, and you can make withdrawal in any ATM card location nearest to you, uh, anywhere in the world. We have also concluded the delivery arrangements with our credit courier service company to oversee the delivery of your uh, ATM MasterCard to your address without any further delay. So, if you are hereby, so you are hereby advised to forward to this office the below needful information so that we can cross-check with the information that that we have um, here on the system on your favor to avoid any mistakes henceforth. All they need is my full name, my full address, my phone number, my fax number, my age, my sex, my current occupation, and I have to attach some copy of uh, identification for verification. That's it. I think this is the second or third one of these I've got this year. And uh, we laugh as we read it, right? Because, I mean, it is comical. But listen to me. Somewhere in the world, of perhaps never seeing one before, out of just not not knowing how the world operates, somebody in the world will be deceived by a letter such as this and will have something of value stolen from them. Stealing something of value from them. You. We started looking at this last week in Lessons from the Garden in Genesis chapter 3. We started looking at this deception to steal from you what God intends for you to have. If you were here, do you remember that? If you were here and you remember that, raise your hands. That the enemy intends to steal from you that which God desires for you to have and utilize in your life joy and peace and contentment and purpose and fulfillment and satisfaction and meaning and joy and and all of this stuff, as I've said this for many, many years, all the stuff that everybody is looking for in life says, boy, man, I hope I have a rotten life. Man, I, I just hope I'm miserable all the time and, and I hope I'm lonely and I, I hope I just have no joy. And Nobody wants that for their life. Everybody wants those things. It, it is my contention, and I believe backed up by Scripture, that everybody... Many people are looking for it in all the wrong places. Satan desires to steal that from those of us who have discovered that, if he possibly can. So in Genesis chapter 3, we started last week. I'm not going to necessarily reread those passages, but I do want to reemphasize the two uh, main ideas that we covered last week and some some material that goes with that and then we'll jump into two more genesis chapter 3 open your bibles there if you have a copy of god's word with you we're, we're looking at lessons from the garden what can we learn from the garden of eden and in in genesis 3 it has to do with the fall right if you're familiar with the story at all it has to do with the fall the fall of man into sin the sin curse and all of that what can we you and i learn from that besides just to have historical information what can you and i learn for that to apply that to my life when i leave here right Hopefully, that, that's what I want to do, that, that's what Victoria wants to do, that's what Hillary wants to do, that's what every person here wants to do, is that I want to walk out of here with something that I can say, okay, uh, here's, what I, here, here's how I can apply this to my life. Here's what we started with last week. We started with this idea, that in the garden we grow in our understanding that man has a cunning adversary who desires to steal all that God has given to us. That is his intention. And I mentioned in that, and we read those passages of Scripture, but I mentioned from those passages of Scripture that there were three uh, kind of areas that you'll see his work going on all the time, and the way that he will try and do this, and how he is so cunning, and the way he will bring deception in. One of the things is he will call into question the word of God. You remember that in the text? What did Satan say? Has God said? Has God really said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? It's to call into question the word of God. It's still being done today. It's, it's it's how he gets people to begin to second think, have second thoughts about whether they ought to follow God. Or, you know, this was written a long time ago. Or, what does this even mean for my life? Or, they didn't even have the internet back then. How could, you know what I'm saying? So He's calling into question the word of God. And the next natural uh, jump when you begin to question the word of God is to begin to question the authority of God. Isn't that what Satan said? Remember, God said, in the day you eat of it, you what? You'll what? You'll surely die. And what does Satan say? You surely will not die. It's open rebellion, open rejection of God's authority. You don't have to listen to God. Yeah, God said you'll die, but you're not going to die. It's questioning the authority of God. And I said that last week, I'll say it again. The the question that you and I have to determine in our hearts and our lives is, does God have the authority to determine what is right and what is wrong? And does God have the authority to determine what the consequence for those actions are? I believe that he does. I believe it's what his word teaches and I believe since he's the creator of the universe that he has that authority. That's what Satan will do. And then the third aspect we said was to call into question the character of God. Remember what he said? Oh, God just knows that in the day you eat of that, you're going to become a God like him. So he, he doesn't want that to happen. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't want to compete. He, does, he doesn't want to have anybody on an equal playing field with him. He wants to be over everybody else. It's calling into question the very character of God. And as I said last week, Satan completely flipped the script and, and turned it from, from, from their understanding that God's prohibition was for their protection. And that he flipped it around so that they came to believe that God's prohibition was for his own protection that he wanted to protect his status and his place in, in, the, in the universe as God because they're all going to become like me if I, if I let them eat of this tree. It's, it's questioning the very character of God. Second division statement that we looked at was this. Temptation comes in three areas, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Almost in every situation I can think of, and if you think back to your life and, and times that you've stumbled or fallen into sin or whatever, you're going to find that in one way or another, one, two, or all three of these will have some part in your, that, that temptation that was coming to you, whether you gave in or not in that particular situation. But it will be this, this, something that will look appealing or, or satisfying to you, something that appeals to your human nature, to your flesh, gratification, uh, something that will improve your status or make life better uh, for you. That's not to say that everything that happens in life, and I said that last week, is bad. Uh, but it means that when temptation comes to take us away from the direction God has for our life, you're going to find that's going to come in one of those three areas. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. And so I said, here's, here's the formula. Here's how you combat that. First, an expectation of temptation. Just expect it. It's going to come, right? It's going to come. If you, if you work in an office place, um, and there's people around you, and you, uh, you can expect that temptation can come through a, through a, a, a co-worker that's, overly friendly or has shared something with you, you just expect temptation. I'm say, all I'm saying is, you, you don't have to, you know, be living your life looking over your shoulder, all that, but you just have to expect that temptation's gonna come into your life. Second, there has to be a preparation for temptation, and we looked at that, Psalm 119, uh, verse 11, your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you, remember that? That that's the key, that's how you prepare, is by, is by, is by fueling up, taking the word of God into your heart and into your life and using that, uh, to combat the, the temptations that are coming into your way. To be able to say, no, no, no. When conviction, God sends conviction because I've put his word in my heart and I can say, I can speak to that temptation essentially and say, no, uh-uh, I, I won't look at that or I won't go in that direction or I, 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 won't, I won't flip the, uh, my, over to that website or I won't, because God says whatever it is that, that might apply for that particular moment. You understand? And it's not just, I'll say it again, it's not just information. What is it? It's transformation, it's not just information, it's transformation, so we're, we're we're letting his word have its effect on our on our life, and then the last thing I said was consecration from temptation. There has to be this conscious effort on my part, on your part. you have to make this determination, nobody's going to make it for you. You have to make this determination to say, God is more important to me than this or that person or that whatever i I choose to consecrate, to set myself apart for the glory of God, for his power, for his purposes, for what he desires to do. I'm making a willful choice. I, I said last week, it's an old-fashioned word, I know, but it basically means to set something apart for God. And that's what I have to decide to do. And you have to decide to do it continually. No, I'm consecrated. today, Every day when I get up, God, no, I, I, I'm living my life for an audience who one. I live for you, I want to live for your honor, your, your glory. That's how we combat temptation that comes to us in the form of, Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. Okay? Quick review. For those of you that weren't here, hopefully that fill, the gaps are I mean, filled in on the blanks, but hopefully that gives you some sort of context for what's going on now. You ready for two more? This is, this is falling. This is the temptation. This is where Satan is trying to deceive us and to go in a direction contrary to what God wants for your life. Not sometimes. Not most times. Sin always has Consequences. I want to read to you this morning Genesis chapter 3 and 7 through 19, and then in verse 23. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord God ...called to the man and said to him, ...where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, ...and I was afraid because I was naked, ...so I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave to be with me, ...she gave me from the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, ...what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceive me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel." To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband. And he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree about which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat from it, in toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you are taken for your dust. The Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. Operating through... The serpent, whatever, and we talked about this some last week, whatever it looked like prior to this event, allowed itself to be used. Satan, through the serpent, informs Adam and Eve, or Eve really, that that uh, if they partake of this fruit, they're going to know, they're going to have the knowledge of good and evil. Gonna be like God because they're going to have the knowledge of good and evil. And, and that was was true. What Satan did not tell them was that this new uh, discovered or, or informed knowledge would come at an extremely high, an enormously high cost. Because the knowledge of good and evil essentially is this, that doing the will of God is good, Not doing the will of God is evil. At its core, that's really what good and evil is. Good is doing the will of God. Evil is not doing the will of God. And here's the irony of this whole thing, ladies and gentlemen. Adam and Eve already had that knowledge. They already had it intellectually. Therefore, uh, because God had given it to them, they already had it morally. They already knew that what was right and what was wrong. God had already given them what I would call this expectation of conduct... Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So that they've got the expectation, here's how you're supposed to conduct yourself. Eat anything you want, don't eat of this tree. And God had given them the expectation of consequence. On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. So God has given them the, uh, essentially what is good and what is evil. They already had that knowledge intellectually. Morally, but they became convinced that they needed to have that knowledge experientially that they needed to actually experience what it was to to do evil, even if they may not have understood it at that time and as I said a moment ago, the consequences for experientially finding good and evil were enormous. make this decision to partake of this 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 fruit in the in the garden or Eve is deceived into taking, partaking of or being a part of this fruit. Nobody wants to... You, you, the, the one you gave me. Come on. It's not really like Adam needed to clarify which woman he was talking about, is it? You gave me. So, so Adam, Adam blames... He blames God because God is the one who gave this woman to him. You know, Adam is a perfect picture of what is wrong in many families today, guys. Adam should have stood up to the, the, the enemy as he was coming against him. Adam should have been a protector, but instead, Adam let himself be a deflector. He deflected uh, to, to his, his wife, not only in taking the lead in this conversation, but then he throws her under the bus with the consequences. Oh, well, that woman you gave me, she, she gave to me, and I ate of it. And then he has the audacity to say, you know, God, you gave her to me. The, the serpent, he, he deceived me and, and I ate of it. Instead of simply saying, no, God, I, I, I did this. I, I, there was no confusion. I know what you said. Don't eat of that tree. I knew it. I did it anyway. I, I'm the one that did this. It's not taking responsibility not not taking uh, the responsibility for for what it, because sin, ladies and gentlemen, sin always has consequences to it always I, I was reading this uh account written by this guy who was up at Niagara Falls in March, and he was standing on you know the edge where you know they let you stand there at the falls, and uh, it, he said everything was white and you know snow covered and of course much of it was frozen just. And everything was sparkling in the light, and it, it was beautiful and he was uh, he He was fascinated by these birds that would come down really close to the edge of the falls to uh, to take a drink of water and then they 'd they'd, they'd fly back up and He mentioned this to a guy that was with him, and the the gentleman that was with him was told him that that One of the mistakes birds oftentimes make when they do this is that they will, they will come down and they'll swoop down. And, and he had seen this on several occasions. They'll come down and, and swoop down to get a, a drink near the edge of the falls. And what they don't realize is as they're doing that, tiny uh, droplets of, of ice begin to form on their wings as they swoop down to get water and they fly back up. And then a little bit, they'll, they'll come back down again. And each time they go down, a little bit more ice forms on their wings until eventually, at some point, they come down and they don't have the lift to come up at it. And they'll, and they'll plunge over the edge of the falls in the midst of it. I'm telling you, that can be exactly like temptation in our lives. A, a little bit of this, well, just for a little bit, or just, I'll just, you know, I'll just flip over here for a minute, or just, just I'll just say a few things. This won't, this won't hurt anything. Or just a little bit of this won't hurt anything. Until eventually you plunge over. I'm I'm just telling you that that sin always has consequences to it, ladies and gentlemen. There's just never a time when it doesn't. Let me remind you of a few passages of scriptures in uh, Numbers chapter 32. uh, Talking to the Israelites about, you know, the command to to follow God. After he brought them out of of, uh, slavery. But if you will not do so, behold you have sinned against the Lord. And would you read that last part with me? And be sure your sin will find you out. Uh, Proverbs chapter twenty seven: A prudent person foresees danger and takes precaution. The simpleton goes blindly on, and suffers the consequence. Oh, I it won't it won't be a problem. Oh, I you know I know it's but there's no. You understand what I'm saying to you? Um, Colossians chapter three: For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. I've told many people sometimes who feel like they've been unjust, unjustly treated by this person or that person or this company or that whatever. I'm telling you something, God is perfectly capable of balancing the scales, ladies and gentlemen. And He will. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power when He comes to be glorified in His saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our testimony to you was believe, to deal out, God's. there's going to be this judgment, it's, it's, it's coming, y'all, you hear this a lot, and then uh, finally Hebrews chapter 2, for this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it, for if the words spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just penalty, how will we escape if we neglect, so great, a salvation? I'm just saying to you that sin always has its consequences. Some type of physical or physiological change. Literally, a change that took place right there on the spot. So that whatever the serpent was prior, it became this beast that would crawl on the ground from then on and be disliked by most people. Don't like. There was a consequence. The consequence really was... Uh, the the first pronouncement or what the what theologians call the proto evangelium, yes. the first pronouncement that someday God would send the one who would crush Satan's head, that yes Satan would bruise his heel, the, the picture of the cross, that that that, that, that it, there would be injury for the Son of God, but through that sacrifice he would crush Satan's head once and for all. That was that was the that was the consequence that Satan discovered for his actions for Eve. It was pain in childbirth, which that in and of itself should prove that God exists, ladies and gentlemen, because th- that would experience that much pain, as I have been told, that much pain at, at giving birth and still allow her husband to get anywhere near her after that, is nothing short of a miracle. God said would happen. And for Adam. For Adam, it was the curse of the ground. It was the sin curse falling on the creation so that Adam from then on would have to work, not for the pleasure of it as we saw in Genesis chapter 2, not for the pleasure of it, but just to survive, just to eke out a living. He was going to have to to work by the sweat of his brow just, just just to feed his family and to not end up being food for something else now. All of that because of the sin curse. Listen to me. Sin always, 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 always has consequences. Adam and Eve thought that day that they would, that they, that they would uh, gain freedom. But what they got was slavery. Slavery for them and for their descendants. Slavery into sin. If you're here this morning or if you happen to be watching this message and you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ. Here's what I want you to see. Here's here's the truth. If you've not trusted Jesus Christ, your Savior, then the consequence of your sin will be separation from God eternally. If you're breathing, or if that person you're praying for is still breathing, there's always hope. But I'm here to tell you that, that based on God's Word, if you die without a relationship with Jesus Christ, having committed your life to Him, then the Bible says that you'll spend eternity in a real place called hell separated from God forever and ever and ever. And by the Way, Just so you know, the reason, at least part of the reason, is because, wh- why it's eternally, is because you are created in the image of God. And part of what it means to be created in the image of God means eternal existence once we come into existence. Yeah. And if you're here, and, and probably maybe the majority of people here would say, well, I know Christ is my Savior. I, I know I'm good. I know I'm good. I know I'm good there. Listen, here's the consequences. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, but you have allowed a sinful practice to come into your life, then the consequence for your sin will be agitation with God. Let me say that sound like a strange word, and I kept trying to change it, but I kept coming back to the idea that's essentially what it is. That I may be part of the family of God, but if I let something come into my life, and I'm not just talking about, you know, I stumble. Uh, uh, what we're talking about is a person wanton sin. They're, 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 they're resisting God's spirit. They're, they're uh, rejecting God's word, and they're involving their life in some practice or something, or they're not doing, whatever it would be that would be that the Bible would call sinful, they're doing that uh, willfully, and, and there's going to be a, a consequence for that. And that consequence essentially is, even though I'm part of the family of God, there's going to be agitation, there's going to be friction between me and God. Do you understand? There's, there's, there's a little bit of problem between me and my father. Anybody ever experienced any, any any friction between you and your, your earthly father? I, I, my dad's gone to be in heaven now, but, but when he was alive, when I was a kid growing up, I, I experienced a good bit of, Friction. If you know what I'm, if you know what I'm saying, when something came between me and him, when I did something that was contrary to what he desired for my life, I say this all the time. But is, isn't that what any loving parent does? Doesn't any loving parent say, "I'm gonna slap you upside the head"? If you don't. No, we don't, they don't say that. But but they say, but they say, no. I'm. I. You know, Timmy. I told you you could have. This would be Ellie. Ellie. I told you you could have. Uh, two pieces of chocolate, not twelve. <laughs> now you can't have any chocolate the rest of the week. You understand, understand? That's what a loving parent does? There's a consequence for what you do. So, if you know Christ your savior, you say, "Man, I know. I, I know. I've let some stuff in my life, or I know that I'm not. But I know that I've trusted Christ as my savior." Then I'm telling you, there's going to be friction. There's going to be agitation between you and your heavenly Father uh, on a continual basis because He loves us too much to let us stay in that situation. He loves us too much to let us stay. Contrary to his will for life, do you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> here's the deception. Here's how. Here's where. Here's where the temptation comes from. Here's the consequence of the temptation. I'm so glad that we can wind Genesis chapter three up with this. With this. This remarkable truth that God is is a pursuing and merciful God. Let me read it in uh, verses nine and then twenty one, twenty four. In verse nine, he says. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? God comes into the garden to the man and says, Where are you? And then verse 21, Then the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword which turned every direction to guard the way. He's the last person we want to hear from. He's the last person we want to see. I'm talking about when we're, we're in, and we're Adam and Eve aren't looking for God, are they? They're over there hiding behind the elephant ear plants. (laughs) And here comes God. Comes this, this amazingly remarkable revelation into the character of God. Almighty God, creator of everything that is, who has need of nothing, God comes looking for them. Of course, God knew exactly where they were, and God knew exactly what they had done, That wasn't the point. The point was that he was coming to them. He was expressing his desire to rescue them from their situation. And he was giving them the opportunity to respond as he came looking for them. Where where are you? It's kind of a shame because I I was naked and and we hid ourselves. Who told you were naked? You you didn't eat of the fruit. I told you not to eat it. Of course God knows all of that. But listen, do you see what he's doing? God's trying to draw them toward him he's trying to help them recognize that the choice they made that he warned them about actually brought shame and fear and and all the stuff that it brought into their life and he comes looking for them it's an amazing picture and even can i say this even as he drove them out of the garden even as God conducted a forced eviction On Adam and Eve even in that he was displaying his mercy because theologically as I under if I understand this correctly theologically had they partaken of the fruit of the tree of life at that point while in their sin they would have been condemned to live eternity in their sin with no hope with no chance of reconciliation and so God mercifully drives them out of the garden you, you, you could look at it this, this way. God drove man out of paradise so that one day God could bring man back to paradise. And l- let me just say this. One of, the things that, one of the things that really ticked the religious leaders off in Jesus' day, one of the things that really ticked them off, was that Jesus preferred to hang out with people who basically knew they were sinners. They, they, they knew they'd blown it with God. Versus hanging out with the people that thought that they were good enough To gain God's approval somehow. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, the scribes, all that whole bunch. And Jesus would rather hang out with the sinners than he would with with the holy rollers, so to speak. Full story of it in the Gospels in Luke uh, chapter 15. And I want to read it to you. It says, Now now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near him to listen to him. Both the Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, saying, what man among you, if he has a hundred sheep, and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture, and go after the one which is lost, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, rejoice with me, for I found my sheep which was lost, that in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance or think they need no repentance. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? Didn't we sing about that just this morning? This, this overwhelming, reckless love of God that He would pursue me. I don't know about you. I don't, maybe you were Maybe you were just a model child growing up. Maybe you did everything right. Maybe you just you know, you just couldn't wait to ask Jesus into your heart and you never did anything wrong, you did whatever. I'm telling you, God pursued me. God pursued me. God pursued me. So that I might experience His mercy and His grace in my life. Maybe some of you can identify with that. Steal from you what God desires for you to have in your life. Yes, He'll use lust of the flesh. He'll use lust of the eyes. He'll use pride of life. He'll use temptations to draw you away. At any point in your life, Uh, in school, going off to college, uh, middle age, wherever you are in life, he will use those things to draw you away. Understand this, there will always, 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 always be a consequence. I can't tell you what that consequence is, but I'm just telling you, there will always be a consequence for actions that we take that are contrary to God's will.
0: The love of God is an amazing thing. As we just heard in today's message, Adam and Eve weren't looking for God. They were hiding from him. But God, in His mercy, came after them, pursuing them. Adam and Eve suffered the consequences of their sin, just like you and I do today. But God is always ahead of the enemy's attempts to destroy us. God had a plan that would culminate with the death of Jesus Christ on the cross so that anyone could be forgiven if they would turn to God by faith. Thank God that He is a pursuing, merciful God. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God.
1: My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety.
0: Many people, at some point in their life, feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible, and what their lives look like on a daily basis.
1: What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting? If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores.
0: I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com, and ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore.
1: You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I get it from Clay Stevens. They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get.
0: Get your copy today, discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7, we a church but instead of religion we're about relationships and instead of rituals we practice realness our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about what we do and what we believe visit us online at crossculture.church
1: I'm not the water I'm not the bread but I know the-
0: Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Taking the cross to our culture and taking our
1: culture to the cross.